Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, the show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top-notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back, everyone, to the 256th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. This episode, I bring on an expert to answer all of our questions about vaping. But before we jump into that, I want to let you know that I have a couple of spots open for mom coaching. Mom coaching doesn't mean that you're a bad mom. It means you are an invested mom. It means you're ready to parent intentionally and strategically and not reactively. You're ready to be on top of your game. You might need a little bit more support. I love to help moms worry less, change the atmosphere at home, dial down the drama, move forward, and get your life back and have a better relationship with your son or daughter. If you live in Houston, you can come to my office for a session. If you don't, well, we can have a session over Zoom. So how big a deal is vaping? How many tweens and teens are doing it? How does vaping impact the brain? And how should you educate your son or daughter about vaping? And what should you do if you catch them vaping? Dr. Aaron Weiner is a licensed board-certified psychologist, master addiction counselor, clinician, author, and frequent speaker on addiction treatment issues. Dr. Weiner is the immediate past president of the Society of Addiction Psychology, serves on the Public Policy Committee for the American Society of Addiction Medicine, and is a member of the Science Advisory Board for the Foundation for Drug Policy Solutions. He earned his doctorate from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and completed his fellowship in addiction psychology at the VA Ann Arbor Healthcare System. So welcome, Dr. Aaron Weiner. Oh gosh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an important topic today, but before we jump into that, the first question I ask all my guests is, are you a parent? And if so, what are the ages of your kids? I am a parent. I have a nine-year-old daughter, a seven-year-old son, and they're still at an age where they where they want to spend a lot of time with me. And so I feel very, very lucky for that. I'm just trying to soak it all in as much as I can every step along the way, because I know probably won't last forever. Well, I bet you'll be able to stay connected to them in a healthy way. Just my impression of you already. (laughs) That's very very kind. (laughs) All right. So we are going to talk about vaping today. And I think this is actually my first podcast that I'm focusing completely on vaping. So I just think there's so many different opinions about vaping. So I just want to dive into it. Like, okay, so I'm going to start with what are some of the current trends in terms of like, you know, the middle school kids vaping, high school kids vaping, college students vaping about, because it seems like people kind of think like everyone's doing it. Yeah. Well, it it can feel that way sometimes. 
And if you talk particularly to some kids in high school, they'll they'll say it seems like everybody's vaping and it's it's all around me. And there are definitely some social circles where that may very well be the case. Right now, though, actually, we're seeing that it's a little bit less, fortunately, at least in high school. Right now, we're at a point where there's still a lot of young people vaping. I think the most recent estimate was 2.1 to 2.3 million teenagers. So it's a lot. But whereas it used to be closer to the one out of four kids to one out of three had been vaping the last month. In high school, now we're down to about one out of five to one out of four. So it's gone down a little bit. The more concerning data, though, from uh, the National Youth Tobacco Survey shows that middle school students, though, that's starting to increase in terms of of frequencies. So they, of course, will age up into high schoolers. So, So we still have to see how this all is going to shake out. But it's still very prevalent. It's something where for many years, we were seeing nicotine use go down as smoking became less cool and uh, it, it wasn't something that really resonated with the I, I, I want to be rebellious or edgy sort of vibe. But but then before we can really completely stamp out the nicotine use now, we've we've seen over the past decade or so vaping really start to catch on. And that's that's the current trend. And what we're having to push back against now is people who care about the health of our kids. Yeah. So do elementary kids vape? Less so. So right now, in terms of where we're really starting to see the uptick, is as we progress through high school. So you see some of it in, in middle school and junior high, but then you really start to see it catching on in, in high school. And, and honestly, that's very similar to alcohol. That's similar to THC, cannabis, marijuana use. All of it tends to pick up a lot in those first few years of in high school. So has vaping changed like the, maybe the substance of vaping in the past 10 years? Mm. Really good question. So when you talk about vaping, it's important to also distinguish between vaping THC or or marijuana or cannabis products versus nicotine, because Mm -hmm. you can take them both in through a vape device, which is is really just a delivery system. So, So when we talk about vaping, what we're talking about is a device that's used to superheat something to release a chemical because that you have to get chemicals out of what they're embedded in somehow. You can say light them on fire and then inhale the smoke and that's one way of getting it out. Uh, vaping is like that but doesn't reach the point of combustion and so you're getting the chemical without the smoke. And we could talk more about the health sides of that in a minute uh, but there's a lot of different things that you theoretically can vape and so when we look at the trends with young people one side of it is on the thc side of the coin that's the active ingredient in marijuana the intoxicating one uh, as well as nicotine and so in terms of how it's changed there has been evolution both in terms of the types of vape devices that the kids are using but there was a study if we're talking about nicotine here for a second came out about six months ago found that Compared to five years ago right now, vapes are about 70% stronger, about Mm. 50 times more capacity in them Mm. in terms of how much you buy at one time, and 30% less expensive. So it's getting stronger, larger, and cheaper over time. There have been changes, but not not in the direction of, of health. So what types of vapes are out there? So again, on the nicotine side, so there's there's several. There was actually just a docu-series released on Netflix that was really good. It's called Big Vape, The Rise and Fall of Jewel. And it documents Jewel. And the reason why that's such an important figure in the vaping, the landscape of vaping history is that they were the ones who initially took vaping and marketed it to young people very explicitly and very Mm -hmm. successfully. And so for a while, it was all about juuling. 
Uh, what happened though was there was basically a regulatory shift that said that Juul specifically, essentially, uh, couldn't flavor their products anymore. And that that aspect of making it taste like a strawberry or mint or menthol or a you know birthday cake, that is what hooks kids actually more mm. than anything else. Depending on the survey you look at, 85 to 90% of kids say they wouldn't vape if it wasn't for the flavors in there. Mm. And this is a technique we've known for, for ages. That's part of why we've banned flavors in, toba in tobacco and cigarettes rather since 2009. That's been banned. Yet mm. there was this loophole around vaping. Juul flavored their products and then explicitly marketed them to be appealing to teenagers and early 20-somethings. And they blanketed social media with this for about six months. And that was kind of it. You know, from that point onward, that became what kids were, were attracted to, what they wanted to do. That was the new edgy. That was the new cool. Now, though, because Juul, essentially that flavor ban imposed, it's shifted over to disposable vapes. So you can, uh, Juul has these pods where you take a pod and you put it into the vape device and that's where the nicotine is and the flavor is. Disposable vapes are these essentially little sticks that you use and then when they're empty, you just throw them away and then you get another one. And they're only marginally more expensive than the pods are. You can also vape using what are called a mods or tank models that are, they're much larger, they're bulkier, but they allow for a lot more customization. There's all sorts of different vape uh, you, you wouldn't throw these away. You basically refill them with liquid all the time, and you can choose exactly what liquid you put in there. You can choose the type of device, the type of mod you're using. So there's a lot of different ways to, uh, to vape. By far, though, the most common right now are the disposables because it means you can just pitch it if, say, you think your parent's going to find it and you're only down like seven bucks or something like that, and it has flavors, whereas right now the pod-based vapes like Juul do not have flavors. And again, the flavors are a big draw for the kids. So what about the big ones? Do they have flavors? Yes, the big ones have flavors, but they are less easy to conceal. And, you know, if they were to be confiscated, you'd be out, you know, 50, 100 bucks, maybe more, depending on the device, whereas the disposables are just quick and easy. So how many toxic chemicals are in a vaping aerosol? So there's a lot uh, in there. And actually, I'm glad you used the word aerosol because the word vaping, the reason why we use the word vaping is because it kind of sounds like water vapor, right? It kind of sounds yeah. benign, like it's not a big deal. It's, it's just it's just vapor. No, no. I mean, what, what it really is, is bunches of chemicals suspended in air. Like you, you get out of like a spray paint can, you know, like that, that sort of uh, situation in terms of just chemicals floating around. And what we found from a study in a toxicology journal about 18 months ago now was that depending on the brand, there's between one and 2000 chemicals that you're taking into your lungs every time you take a hit off of a vape. Now, the reason why there's between 1000 and 2000 is because when you vape a substance, it breaks down. It goes through a process called pyrolysis or thermal degradation. And so you heat it up, it breaks down. So maybe there were only like seven, eight, nine, ten 10 chemicals in there to begin with. Although even that we don't know because it's not really very well regulated. But even if that was the case, then when you put it through the heat, it breaks down into all these different chemicals, many of which we don't know what they are. Honestly, they're unknown chemicals you're putting into your lungs. However, many of them bear signatures of carcinogens, so chemicals that cause cancer. Many of them bear a signature that makes them look like a lipid or like a fat. And that's important because that's the sort of chemical that causes the vaping-related lung illness that we started to see about a lot about in the news, actually right before COVID hit in late 2019, early 2020, mm. but kind of got steamrolled by the pandemic in terms of news coverage. Is that still happening? 
It is actually even more than it was before. There was a study that came out about six months ago, I think it was, that was looking at insurance claims for E-Valley is the technical name for it, E-V-A-L-I, if you see that in all, all caps. But those claims have actually tripled since uh, late 2019, early 2020. So if, if anything is, is just as bad, if not worse than it used to be, we're just not talking about it. So I think a lot of people think that like vaping is like better than cigarettes and that like if if you're already smoking a lot of cigarettes, you might as well vape because that's better. What do you think about that? Well, so there is some truth to that. So if you are smoking, you are taking about 7,000 chemicals into your lungs as well as tar. So if you compare it just on like that apples to apples basis, one to 2,000 chemicals versus 7,000 and tar versus no tar, vaping would be less really bad stuff that you're putting into your body. That said, a couple of caveats. One is that the studies we have thus far find that if you are both vaping and smoking, the health risks are worse than if you were just smoking. Actually, we're, we're, we're finding that if you mix the two, you're worse off than if you did one or, or the other, either, either one actually. That being said, if a current smoker completely switched over to vaping, yes, that would probably be in their best interest. The problem is though that from, from that model is that most kids aren't already smoking. Most kids are not putting anything into their lungs. So going from zero to 2,000 chemicals and carcinogens and toxins and metals, uh, or zero to 1,000, is not good. In fact, it's, it's, it's bad. So for adult smokers who want to fully transition, yes, the data that we have so far says that would be a good switch to make. But only putting one foot in each camp is actually worse. And if you're going from healthy lungs with no chemicals to lungs with chemicals, that is absolutely worse. So middle school, high school kid, what is so attractive about vaping? Well, Why vaping do they want serves, to do that? Yeah, yeah. So, so vaping serves potentially a few purposes. And, and this, is, this goes for any sort of behavior that a young person is doing that seems counterproductive. Like we as an adult might look at a kid who's say like has who's restricting food or a kid who is even even say like cutting themselves and being like oh my goodness like why why would you be doing this is clearly causing you harm and the answer is there is a reason it's actually serving a purpose for them and maybe a purpose that means more to them than whatever the punishment is or whatever the cost is that's that's why we all do what we do because we actually think overall it's in our best interest and so vaping works the same way where you've got a young person, maybe they're looking for social acceptance, and this is a way into a peer group, or they're not wanting to be on the outside looking in. Or maybe they find that they have more energy because of the nicotine when they vape. Or maybe they just feel like it tastes good, and they started doing it, and then the nicotine kicked in, and now they've got a chemical addiction that they don't know how to deal with. Or maybe it's for them, it's like a pick-me-up if they're feeling uh, down in some way. Like when we're talking about vaping the THC side, for example, getting high, numbing out. You've got a young kid who's dealing with a lot of emotions they don't know how to how to cope with in a healthy way. The prospect of just escaping from that immediately seems like a good idea in the moment, even if there's back-end problems and ultimately it hurts you. The way addictive products work is that at first they seem to work really well for what they do. It's just down the line or with time or with repetition or kind of in slow or invisible ways at first, they start chewing away at you and the, the negative consequences come later. So do you think that some kids vape because it relaxes them? So th there's almost like a myth around that same thing for smoking, right? You know, people yeah. will say like, I, you know, I'll do this to calm my nerves. But what we actually find is that it just shifts the goalposts. The, the studies that we have around nicotine 
kids included here, is that if you are using nicotine to calm down, what you've actually done, and you're doing this consistently, is you are just more stressed overall all the time, and you have to use nicotine there to get down to kind of like moorish normal, but you would actually be far better to use healthy coping styles to deal with anxiety than you would be to using nicotine. Because again, whatever it's doing in the short term eventually starts to get faded out through the tolerance that you that you develop and even just nicotine affecting the developing brain we know mm-hmm. through research leads to to worse outcomes over time on the psychiatric front whether or not we're talking about anxiety depression uh, inattentive symptoms even difficulty concentrating like all of these are, are related to nicotine use okay so i don't know if this is true or not but are there like different levels of nicotine in the vaping like so like if you're smoking cigarette it's just full blown but in vaping, you have different levels. Is that true? It is true. Yeah, there are definitely different levels of nicotine, particularly in those um, those tank models that I mentioned, where you, you can really adjust a lot of things about the liquid that you put into the tank. But even the disposable ones can come in, in different strengths. Um, but the issue there as well, where I think recently there have now been uh, 10,000 puff vapes that have been released, which is just a tremendous amount in one tank. Part of the issue with how much nicotine are you taking in, it might just be like how much per breath are are you taking in, but also how long can you go without having to stop, right? So if you have this really massive device, it might still get you to the same, like way too much nicotine place than if you had a a stronger device, but with less hits in it. Oh, that makes sense. So if, if you have less nicotine and you take thousands of puffs, it could be the same as someone. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Or you can also have a strong one with lots of puffs, you know, put them together. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I've heard some kids say is like, well, it's not that bad because it's, you know, it's not, it's like this lower level of nicotine. So it's not bad. Yeah. Well, if that were true, it would be amazing. I think that that in and of itself is, is, you know, there's, there's not a lot of truth to that statement, Uh, but if that was all there, it was in there. That would also be a different, a different question, right? Mm -hmm. There's all these other toxins and chemicals and we don't really know what it's doing. But what you're speaking to is this misinformation layer, which is something Mm -hmm. that we see around a lot of different addiction for profit circles. You know, nicotine definitely fits in that where there's a reason why you have a young person being like, this is fine. That's not an accident. They've been hearing this messaging maybe from their friends, but also all over social media. And that's something else that's been very well documented is that Mm -hmm. the reason why kids think this way is because there's tremendous social media influencers, massive marketing campaigns that go to where they go and they give them this information that this isn't a big deal. Part of what I am very passionate about is empowering kids to make choices based on facts. And if they choose to vape at that point, you know, it is their body. That, you know, they, they, they get to choose what they put into it, but they should at least have their eyes open and understand the reason why they've heard other things is because people are literally targeting them to make money off them. And that's how the nicotine industry has worked for decades. This is, this is not new. Basically, they think that they could take advantage of the kids by making something cool with marketing and then getting them hooked on something that sticks with them then potentially for life. They get to decide if they want to feed into that and they get to find out actually what's going into their bodies and decide if they want that in their bodies. And then everyone you know, gets to make their own choices because parents aren't going to be there when kids make this choice. If they're going to take, you know, take the vape from someone in the bathroom or in someone else's basement or, you know, wherever it is, they have to make that decision for themselves. But to make that decision from an informed place, they have to have the right information. Yeah. So I've heard before that, like, that with alcohol and nicotine, 
if it's, you know, cigarettes or vaping, that those marketing companies definitely will target younger kids because they think, not they think, but because of the fact that they're more at risk at addiction if they start earlier. Is that true? It is true, actually. What we found is that 90% of people who develop an addiction to anything in their life have their first one before the age of 20. We also know that for nicotine in particular, younger people, particularly adolescents and teens, they tend to experience more of the positives of nicotine and fewer of the negatives, just from a brain you know, psychodynamic level, like how, how that's working up there. But there's also the issue of the fact that these substances and how they affect you in the short term versus the long term, you have to be able to think critically about it. And young people literally don't have that brain structure developed yet. The, the part of our brain that is in charge of those more abstract thinking, long-term planning sorts of things, it's called our prefrontal cortex. And it's in the front of our head. It's the last part of our brain to develop. Actually, all the way up until you're about 25, it's still growing and developing. And so part of what's happening here is that you have kids who are more susceptible to falling into this short-term reward trap being placed in front of these. You know, nicotine is highly addictive. It's one of the hardest substances to stop using, actually. And so they're being placed in front of it now with fruity flavors and candy flavors and mint and uh, stronger even than, than cigarettes are. That's one of the other changes that happened when Juul came out was they developed a new technology through something called nicotine salts, where the nicotine hit is even stronger from vaping than you get from a cigarette. So there's wow. all of these different factors, yeah, that are, are making it extremely alluring. The social element, the chemical element, behavioral habit forming, their age, it, it creates this vice that can be very difficult to get out of. So I know like with cigarettes, like some of those campaigns to kind of get you to stop smoking would, would show like an old person, like with a billion wrinkles and no teeth and, you know, make them, it looks very unattractive. So I think a lot of people think that smoking will make you ugly, like a teen, this is how they think, you know, that smoking might make you ugly and make you wrinkled, but vaping's different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> there are all sorts of things, right, that might come out of their mouth. You'd be like, wow, that, that's very interesting. So what I would say to that is that generally speaking, what we're finding particularly with modern teens is that they don't react well to scare tactics. They also don't necessarily react well to vehicles or messengers that they can't relate to. Like you show someone who's like wrinkled or like 65 years old or 70 or, you know, has a tube sticking out of their throat. And it's going to be very easy for them to be like, oh, that's not going to happen to everybody. That's certainly not going to happen to me. They're just trying to scare me. I don't, you know, this, this person doesn't resonate with me at all. And to be honest with you, that the change in that, the fact that you have to have vehicles and messengers that someone identifies with to reach them in this day and age is exactly how vaping caught on in the first place. They marketed it using young models, using young influencers to young people. And so what we're finding is that actually that social norming element where if you can have young people who can talk to other young people about why they either quit vaping or why they chose not to use, that's incredibly impactful. Mm -hmm. Or if instead of just trying to go like full tilt, we're just going to you know try to give you all this n terrible information. I, I find that if you're more measured about it and just say, listen, like, I just want you to know this stuff. You know, you do what you're going to do, but like, just know it uh, before so that you can make an informed decision. They tend to be more receptive to that because 
I think teenagers of any era, but certainly today's teenagers, they they want to be treated with respect. They want to feel like they're you know they're not necessarily like a thirty year old adult, but at the same time that like they can make decisions and have some autonomy. And particularly again, when we're talking about them making these decisions on their own in mm-hmm. their own social environment, uh, I, I think we have to trust them. We have to trust them to make the right decisions for themselves if we give them the right information so that they can. That's great. Okay, this may be a dumb question, but I'm asking anyway. So I know they have like oh. different. <laughs> I know that. So I think what's hard for parents is like like you can't smell smoke, you know. So you don't really know what they're doing. So if someone is smoking THC from vape, does it smell like normal weed, or can it can that be disguised? It, it can be completely disguised in a flavor. It can also be very faint. It's it's much harder to detect. Wow. You, you're, in that one, at least, though, you're, you're looking at someone who might then be uh, impaired in some way, right? You're not going to see the same sort of impairment from nicotine that you are from, from THC. So, you, you know, you can look for someone who seems like they're sluggish or droopy eyes, red eyes. If they seem sedated in some way, confused, altered mental state, like you can you can look for that. Nicotine, it's a bit harder, right? Because it can mm-hmm. be just a little bit of stimulation. There are signs that you can look for for each in terms of behavioral shifts. But one of the biggest and most important elements is just that parents really need to be tuned into their their kids so mm-hmm. that they know what's normal. So that if there are some of these switches, if it seems like they're either going to the bathroom a lot or they have either like t- t- too little money because maybe they're buying these things or too much because they're they're dealing them in school. I've talked to a lot of parents where they've discovered that their kids were like small time drug dealers because there's a there's a market for it. So that, that could be another thing to watch for. Um, are they being more edgy? Does it seem like your relationship is getting a, a little bit more frayed? Obviously, this is going to happen in the teenage years between many parents and kids anyway. But that's part of why really having a finger on the pulse and, and being plugged in is really important so that you can try to distinguish, well, what's you know, normal teenage pushback or angst versus it seems like something might be amiss here. So is there such a thing as secondhand smoke from vaping? There absolutely is. So just like when you're breathing in chemicals uh, when you smoke, and then you're breathing some of that back out and people can smell it and see it around you. Like it works the same thing with vapes. It's just you don't smell it in exactly the same way. The chemicals are still floating around in the air. But much like there are 7,000 chemicals coming out of that cigarette, but only 2,000, 1 to 2,000 coming out of the vape, there's fewer chemicals in the secondhand vape aerosol. But absolutely, it's, it's still there, which is part of why schools are very concerned about this because I mean, again, I think it's no secret at this point that there's a lot of vaping that tends to go on in high school bathrooms in particular. And that's a very enclosed space, maybe not with like the best ventilation. So I have talked to plenty of kids who are like, I hate going into the bathroom because there's like literally no way to get around the fact that it's just bunches of vape aerosol, vape smoke floating around. Yeah. All right. So let's say that a mom is listening and she's got a middle school kid. So. Like, how should she talk to her middle school kid about it or even her teen about it? Like, I know some of the moms is like, my kid wouldn't vape. So they see it as really bad, you know, like a bad thing. So it would be a bad kid. Or I think I've also kind of talked to parents who kind of think it's like no big deal. Yeah. So how would you, like, what would you say to a kid? Like, okay, let's say, like, what do you say to your, even your nine-year-old about it? Yeah. Well, well, so that's an interesting question. So. So, so first, what I would say is that it's very helpful 
to talk to kids about the, this this whole paradigm of of drugs, of alcohol, of vaping in particular, because it's one of the most common things right now amongst kids before they encounter it in the wild. Because I can almost guarantee you that the information they're going to get out there, whether or not we're talking about Snapchat, Instagram, friends at school, is going to be less accurate or tailored to their age than whatever you can provide. And so really trying to set that narrative first so that then you're not having to fight against something that's already been in there or they've heard it from someone they trust who's trying to justify their own behavior, for example, um, yeah. goes a long way. So for listeners who have kids who are, say, in middle school and junior high, that is a perfect time to start talking about it because that's at a point where they're not going to have seen very much of it, but they're going to. It's going to start popping up. And in terms of then how we talk about it. So with my nine-year-old, you know, she's not quite there yet, um, but but she's aware. She, she is aware that what daddy works on the most are when people put chemicals into their body that they think might help them, but actually really hurt them a lot. And that's as far as we've gone so far. You know, as she gets a little bit closer, we'll talk more about that and what that looks like. But that's that's the frame so far. You know, there's people who are trying to do something for themselves, but they're hurting themselves instead because they don't know any better. You know, and that's for a nine-year-old where we're at at the moment. When you start to get into middle school, right, it's, it's more about, uh, in junior high, it's about, again, framing it in a way, whatever de developmental level your child is at, in a way that feels like you can communicate this to them, not just saying this is bad, this is wrong, kids who do it are bad. And so, because that's very judgmental and actually probably won't serve them very well, particularly if they start seeing their friends doing it and they have like an existential crisis. It's a lot easier to have compassion for someone who's struggling and trying to find a way to solve that problem, even if it's not healthy, than it is to be like, oh my gosh, why are they bad? Or what does it mean about me? If say the first time you talk to your child, maybe they've already vaped. Maybe they don't know how to feel about it. Maybe they haven't told you about it. And you know, if you come across in a way where now they don't feel safe, then you've just put up another wall. That makes it even harder to have a conversation about it. So first thought, again, would be try to talk talk about it early. Beyond that, though, the way that I would recommend opening things up is to ask, like, what have you heard? What have you seen? Not necessarily have you done it, because that is super threatening. But instead, you could ask, like, have you know, have you seen this in any of your friends? Do you see this at school? Like, is this something that you run into the into in the bathrooms? It's a lot easier to talk about somebody else or something else that's going on than about yourself then you can ask them how they feel about it, if they have come into contact with that. It's very important, though, for parents to express their views about if they don't want their child to vape, which is definitely the health-consistent recommendation. It's very, it's very important to express that because time and time again, in almost every study you look at, the biggest predictor of youth behavior is parental feelings about whatever that behavior is. It's not wow. 100%. Yeah, e even kids who are, are really oppositional in some way, and again, it's, it's not an, an exact one-to-one, -one, but if you've never said, hey, we really don't think this is a good idea, this is not something that we would approve of because of all of these reasons, right, that are, you know, that are health-related, this is not a healthy thing to do for your body, you know, we don't do that in our house, if that's true, right? Ideally, you're modeling that behavior as parents as well. You're respecting your body with what you put into it. But we don't, this is not something that we do as a family. Talking about that, making that clear is such an important thing to do. And a mantra, I know I've been talking for a while. Thanks for letting me get the full thought out. Um, a mantra that I find is very helpful 
is that conversations about substances, it should not be one 60 minute conversation where you're just like having the talk about vaping. It should be 60 one minute conversations where it's not something that's taboo. It's not something that you're like bracing yourself for as a child or as the adult, where it's just something that you check in about, where they're very aware of your values, your expectations. They talk to you about what's going on in their life. And it's something where you can have ideally an easy, safe channel of communication so that you can consistently Check in with them about it and level set. Well, th this is great, great, great information. Very, very, very helpful. And I think what you're saying is like as, as kids get older and they can handle more information, you give them more information. And I know what works often with, with teens, and this can also work with like apps and video games and all of that, is when they kind of hear, you know, like with social media, it's designed to be addictive. And gaming's designed to be addictive. And so are substances, you know, and when they can think critically about something and kind of get angry about it, then I think that's helpful. If it, when they see that they're manipulated by something, that really ticks a teenager off, maybe not a middle schooler, but, but an older teen, they don't want to be manipulated. Yeah. So I think that yeah. could be a strategy when they're in high school. 100%. Whenever I do assemblies, whenever I'm talking to kids, particularly because I'm not a kid and I can't do that peer-to-peer -peer thing I was mentioning. Mm -hmm. I will always start first by saying, well, let's talk about marketing, you know, because that's actually where we need to start around this. And I will show them what marketing to kids looks like. I will show them what marketing to adults looks like. I will, I literally have ads that I show on screen from completely pro products, completely unrelated to vaping. And they get to see that. And then we look at some vaping ads. And then we talk about the business of vaping and I, I spend a minute there because I think it's really important because that gets their attention because you start with the health and they're like, oh, they don't know. They're just trying to scare or you know, whatever. They, they discount you. But when you show and don't tell and when you start with the manipulation part, they're like, wait a second, this actually makes some sense. And I'm seeing it in right in front of me. This is what these people are doing. And then you move into the, well, so why should you care about this? Because like people market clothes to you and breakfast cereal to you. So why should you care that these devices and this product is being marketed to you? Well, here's why. And here's what it's going to do to you. And here's what you didn't see on Snapchat. And that tends to be something that they're like, okay, this was a worthwhile assembly. You know? Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. All right. So let's say a mom out there is like, okay, I know my son or daughter is vaping. I don't even know what to do about it. I mean, I throw their vapes away, but what else can I do? Well, so throwing the vapes away is a temporary solution at best because there is a reason why they are vaping. And that would be my number, my number one recommendation is you need to try to figure out why. Because if you don't get to the why what the problem they're trying to solve with the behavior, then they will just go back either because they'll get it from a friend, they'll do it behind your back, uh, or they'll go off to college or mm -hmm. go off into the world and just start right back up again. And so really figuring out why is this happening is really important so that ideally you can give them a better option than vaping to get there. You do, of course, have to set that boundary with the device itself. There has to be a cause and effect to behavior. If you choose to do this, or if you do a drug screen that comes back positive uh, for nicotine or, or cotinine is the name of the other metabolite that you'll find in urine for like nicotine tests, then like, here's what's going to happen. And you get to choose what's going to happen. But that, that's only one part of the equation, that autonomy of if you choose to do this, here are the consequences. The other part is, well, so why are you doing this in the first place? And how can we meet this need for you? Because... Mm -hmm. If it's a social need, there's other ways to do it. If it's an mm -hmm. emotional need, there's other ways to do it. If you're bored, you know, there's, there's other ways to get after that. But 
if you only are on the, the consequence punishment side, you're, you're not going to punish this type of behavior out of kids without mm -hmm. also then reinforcing the behavior you want them to do and solving the problem that they're trying to solve in a different way. I completely agree. And I would add to that is often kids need some social skills around it because it might be hard for them to say no. It may be they don't know what to do in a situation. All the friends are vaping. And what do you do in a car? Right. Yeah. Or, or either what do you do in a car or so how do you say no? Uh, we yeah. call those refusal skills and mm -hmm. you can role play that. You can practice that. There's also a question of like, do you want to still be hanging out there? Mm -hmm. I know there's also, you can also rehearse ways to get out of a party, like ways to, ways to call, call your parents, get out, talk to someone about how to leave. Also something to bear in mind, you know, as a parent, if you're hearing that your kid is basically only hanging out with kids who are vaping or using drugs, given that we know right now that for high schoolers, that's only about like, maybe like one in four right? These are mm -hmm. pockets. It may, there might be some schools where maybe this isn't the case, but for the most part, there are the kids who vape, there are the kids who don't. And then there's, there might be some who are experimenting. But if, you're, if your child is hanging out with bunches of people who are essentially you know, using drugs that are illegal to them for fun, right? Because you're not even supposed to have it under 21. Th that When we talk then about like what are the chances that they will use THC or other drugs over time, they're creating this permission structure of, yeah, I'll break the law when it serves me. Or, yeah, I'll get high for fun. Or, I'll use drugs for fun. Or, I'm going to be in a social milieu where using drugs or doing something that's illegal makes me cool and part of the group like that that whole paradigm isn't necessarily the healthiest for them to be immersed in and so just thinking about are there potentially other opportunities to to socialize to be part of groups that have different social norms where mm -hmm. if they were the only one vaping they might feel awkward about it instead of they're the only one not vaping and they don't know how to not do that so are the statistics for high school 25 percent vape so overall, yes, that's where it's about. It's about one, it's about, I believe, 20 to 25%, depending on the survey that you look at, say that they vaped in the last month. It might be a little bit less in terms of daily use, but mm -hmm. it's it's not everyone. It's not even most people. And, and that's actually something for all drugs, I think, right now, uh, all of them, including alcohol, under 50% of kids say that they've used any drug in the last month. And mm -hmm. so when, even seniors. So like if, if we're if we're talking about like people thinking like, no, everybody's doing this. No, they're, they're not. And that's actually another phenomenon that we find is that kids oftentimes overestimate how many of their peers are using the drugs based on when you actually look at what they report. Because I think that's another excuse that kids will use. Like, oh, my God, mom, if I can't hang out with the people who vape, then I won't have any friends. That may be true in the, in the short run. It's If those are all of your friends and all of your friends vape, that part might be true. And so then you, you do just have to have some more important conversations about what those friends are doing and, you know, do how do they feel about that behavior? Again, maybe there are other social milieus that you can put them into and see if that is appealing to them. Mm -hmm. um, but that's also something oftentimes that grows over time. I mean, this is something, it's not like there's a group of kids in third grade who are all like out in the parking lot vaping after school or something, you know, like this is something that slowly grows over time. And so if you're aware of who your friends are, uh, what they're doing, who they're hanging out with, if this is part of, and this is not a culture again, that starts in like third grade, this is something that starts to pick up in high school for the most part, but you know, middle school, junior high, high school. So if this isn't something that you're aware of, 
is happening because you're plugged in and it's it's not occurring, mm-hmm. then there's a pretty good chance your your child is not part of that group of kids. But if they are, you're going to start to see it grow over time. Well, I really like your approach because I think what can happen if you just kind of do the punishment route is like you're grounded is there is a real phenomenon that they're stuck. They're stuck in some ways with this. It might be socially. It might be that it does it does kind of relax them. I mean, there are like a lot of different ways that they're stuck in their own heads about why they can't give it up. So mm-hmm. if you just punish them, that's not necessarily going to remove it because they're still stuck. Yeah. I mean, they might also go through nicotine withdrawal if they're, and so they're then going to have to go through that if you don't get them, you know, take them to the pediatrician and get something to help with that. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say like, yeah, I was, you know, like I was vaping or I was smoking and then I was grounded for a month and I never touched it again. <laughs> you know, like that's, <laughs> that was enough. That's all it took. So you just brought that up. So when, when should someone talk to their pediatrician about that with their kids, if their kids are vaping? Generally, I like to think about interventions, whether or not it's medical or you know psychological, like myself, as about trajectories. So like if, say, for example, you find out that your child is vaping and you talk with them about it and they say that they're being honest and it's just that they've been experimenting with it a little bit, but you know they, they, they don't need to keep going. They're okay with stopping. Maybe they accept drug testing for you know a month or two. Everything comes back negative and that all looks fine. Okay. You don't necessarily need to talk to the pediatrician, but if it's something where you're getting a lot of oppositional behavior, pushback, drug screens are coming back positive that you're giving them, um, they, they clearly aren't intending to stop. Um, that's when you've got to think, okay, um, I, I should probably get some help with this because if I extend this behavior out by one, two, four, five years, this doesn't look very good. And to be honest with you, that's that's another phenomenon that I see a lot is that by the time parents get to me, they've already got like say a senior or uh, you know who's even starting their senior year, even worse, you know, ending it where they're almost eighteen. All your control goes away at that point when they leave the house, when they're legally adults. And so, like, if, if you wait that long, your ability to potentially like put them into environments that they might need to go to, even if initially they are uh, resistant to it or like move them from say like one school to another or one peer group to another. The the later you get to it, the harder it is to do something. So I, I would say really just look at that trajectory. And if it seems like what you're trying at home isn't getting the job done, then don't be afraid to, to loop in external help. That being said, the, the only the, the the caveat to that would be that if you do have a young person who is legitimately seems addicted to nicotine, then there are some medications that can help, and it would be worth at least talking to the pediatrician about how you might be able to use those to make that transition if they're medically appropriate for your child. So mm-hmm. that that would be a difference if you have a, a kid who really is vaping quite a lot and who is chemically addicted, chemically dependent on that nicotine, then maybe you go a little bit earlier. Well, this has been so helpful. Any last advice for the moms listening? Yeah, I I think what I would leave listeners with is that you can make a difference. You absolutely can make a difference. And this is something where it it can feel, it, it can inspire a lot of fear if you've just discovered that your child is doing this, or if you're staring down the barrel of high school and you know there's all sorts of threats that they're going to start running into, this being one of them, they feel like, oh my gosh, how can I compete against all of this. But but no, you know, if you are 
further uh, further back in that timeline and you've got a child who isn't in high school yet absolutely it's not too late to start having these conversations open up a healthy dialogue about it so that you can help help them navigate through it and show them that you're safe and if they have been vaping it's never too late to try to really connect with them to try to get them to share what's going on and why and to try to put them in a position to succeed without having to go back to it so I really can't underscore enough parents expressing how they feel being emotionally safe and supportive is so predictive of youth behavior. And so that that is the best gift that you can give your son or daughter is being present, being safe and talking with them about it so that they have Mm -hmm. the information and they know they can talk with you about it whenever they need to. This has been so great. So how can a mom get in touch with you if they have questions? They are welcome to reach out to me through my website at weinerphd.com, W-E-I-N-E-R-P-H-D.com. My email's on there. They're welcome to, to drop me a line or use the submission form. But I, to, to this point, uh, there's no one answering my, my contacts but me. So I, I will absolutely write you back if you reach out to me. <laughs> Maybe one day that'll change, but I just think I, I really appreciate connecting directly with the people who care enough to, to reach out. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning best-selling books, Gow Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.